0: Hello, everyone. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, uh, good night, wherever you are in the world. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate you giving us some time. And uh, we are very, very fortunate today um, to have uh, Kenan Hertz with us. He's um, uh, a superstar and a, and a rainmaker in a bunch of the um, insurance industry. So I'm super, really looking forward to um, yeah, the conversation. I'm really looking forward to um, getting some of your thoughts, Kenan. Um, and uh, I guess the to, to kind of frame up the conversation um, the, uh, the the thinking today is how can we how can we talk about the building tomorrow's insurers so I think there's a lot of pieces to that I think there's um, a lot of opinions I think there's a, a bunch of stuff that's happening and maybe some stuff that isn't happening um but maybe I'll just pause there um Ken and I'll maybe give you a chance to, to maybe introduce yourself and, and a, a little bit about kind of um, yeah how you think about the world um, I'll do the same and then maybe we'll roll into um, roll into the conversation.
1: Great, my name is Kenan Hertz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm the managing partner of InsurTech Advisors where we work with uh, here in the US, primarily regional insurance carriers, helping them innovate and helping them really leverage the advances that come out of the InsurTech space. In that journey in InsurTech, I uh, met a group of of founders uh, who uh, convinced me to come and co-found a boat insurance company called Ahoy Insurance. So I sort of have, the experience on both sides of uh, of the fence, uh, not to mention prior to this working at USAA and then in Big Four Consulting at PWC and EY. So for me, I think what's really interesting is is you see the transition of carriers themselves and the whole new world of InsurTech and how that has really forced incumbents to really evaluate the value that they're bringing to their insurance, the value they bring to their colleagues, and the value that they bring to essentially their distributors, whether it's agents or other partnerships. Um, and I think uh, what's exciting for me is really some of the amazing things that are happening uh, with, with companies like yourself and others, right, in order not just to replace an insurance company, which personally I think is nearly impossible. Like, you know, some of these carriers have balance sheets, larger than any, you know, third world countries in some cases. And, um, you know, they're not going away. So, so the real question
0: is, how can we coexist together and drive the industry f- forward? Yeah, super interesting. Nice nice segue. I think that's kind of that the theme, isn't it, really? The theme of kind of how can kind of insurers um, really turn these kind of strategic partnership advantages to really allow them to kind of amplify what they're great at and then kind of fill the holes of maybe kind of uh, what some of the insurtechs are, are doing a really good job at. And I think that's that that kind of theme of how the that partnership can evolve. I think if you look at um, historically within the financial services space and you look at payments and you look at lending, you look at the banks, I think it's kind of um, really maybe shown a a bit of a blueprint of how, um, I guess, incumbents and, and new entrants can work together. Um, and so kind of when like that as the, the kind of context. Um, when you're thinking about um, that change, that involvement, um, how do you think um, how do you think the the incumbents need to think about that? And how do you think that the insurtechs are going to kind of help them change, help them kind of get uh, redefine what customers are looking for?
1: Look, I think like everything, right? The, the spectrum is broad and wide. Right, you yeah. have incumbents who so. If everything is working well and you're growing and you're doing fine and your combined ratio is reasonable and you're making money, right, ultimately there's little incentive to innovate or there's little incentive Mm. to change unless something major from the outside world happens, right, that forces that upon you. Whether it's a regulator, whether it's just a massive shift in the underlying risk categories, whether it's global warming or some type of a war that we see, you know, unfortunately all too often. But for the most part, I don't think there are that many carriers that are, you know, going through life, everything's rosy the whole time. And so the question becomes, you know, do you have leadership who understands that the world is shifting and that they they understand that they need to change? And to change, there's sort of probably multiple ways, but there's two primary ways, right? You can go outside, and bring that in, whether that means hiring outside talent or people with other experiences and bringing them in, or Mm -hmm. just hiring a consultant or a partner or or something, or you just do it all from inside, right? Um, And both of those sort of models can work depending upon what your organization is, what your culture is. Um, Both have challenges, right, because for the most part, people are afraid of what they don't know, or people are just used to working in their job in their little box and, you know, great, you know, um, and they're fearful of change. Um, So to me, leaders, right, are the ones who can articulate, you know, that art of the possible, the art of the future, you know, how it's not about replacing, but it's about um, enabling us to do what we do best, right? You know, I've long learned in my career that whatever is unique to you or to your organization, that's what you want to keep, right? So, whatever that DNA is, safeguard that and 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 nurture it. But anything else, like why do it? And and I think the simplest example, and just came to my head, is it used to be that when carriers would print out bills or policy docs or whatever, they had an internal printing function right they would do it all in-house and they would stuff the envelopes and mail uh, uh, put the postage on it and mail it out well that's not core insurance and over time the smarter carriers started leverage companies that specialized in printing and mailing because that's all they did so they learned how to have the efficiencies they learned the scale they learned the, the unique tricks of the trade Right. And so knowing what's worthwhile leveraging and what's worthwhile keeping and safeguarding, I think is that um, secret sauce and, and what will ultimately separate winners from, um, from people who struggle.
0: More. I think like it's, it's interesting, isn't it, just kind of, kind of to get it, continue down that path. And you spoke about a little bit earlier, but about kind of. Um, incumbents innovating or kind of bringing it outside or developing within, and I think um, I think often incumbents do get a pretty hard time uh, saying that they don 't do much, but I think and actually look if you list, look historically uh, these businesses often have been around for a really long time, and it 's really hard for a business to be around for a really long time and and generally you have to be adaptable, you have to be open to change you have to kind of understand that you understand your core, but also understand you need to like kind of have evolve as a company over time and so I do think that 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 DNA is in there I, I think it's proved historically and I think obviously we're now in a maybe a faster changing environment in which they're having to more rapidly evolve and, and that's kind of maybe why partnerships help um, but I do think the DNA is in there um, with within the incumbents uh, in terms of um, partnership and evolving and, and, and moving into what's new.
1: Look, your point about, you know, some of these carriers have been around, you know, for two, three hundred years. Ben Franklin here in the U.S. started the oldest insurance company called the Philadelphia Contributionship, 1752, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That company has evolved in the few hundred years they've been around. Right. So so there's no doubt that carriers change and carriers evolve. Um, You know, if you're state farm, you know, you. You know, you, you've taken the best of, of prevention, the best of telematics, and you've tried to do it yourself, or you've leveraged some, um, some startups who produce telematics solutions, whether it's on a mobile device or with a physical device, right? Uh, the real question is, with legacy systems, with legacy approaches, with, um, with legacy distribution um, models – Right. How do you balance all of that? Right. And I think that's the trick. So some carriers are wedded to what they do because they're afraid or or right now 100% of my business comes from independent agents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't want to sh- I don't want to scare them. I don't want to lose that business. Mm-hmm. Well you know what? you're not necessarily going to lose that. And I, I think to some extent that was how lemonade was successful. right yeah. They chose they chose renters' insurance. Which the majority of the carriers, it was a byproduct of having a relationship with a parent who then had a child going away and wanting to make sure that their apartment was insured. But agents didn't want to sell it because a hundred dollar policy, what they make ten dollars, takes you know costs yeah. them more than they make. So you know if you as a startup and you want to be a product startup, can find a niche that the incumbents aren't interested in or underdeveloped or underserved, then you can really gain quick market um, penetration, right? The trick becomes now translating that into something bigger, into something more profitable. And mm. we've seen that the public insurtechs have certainly struggled with that.
0: Yeah, they have struggled in the near term, haven't they, for sure. And I think maybe that kind of, uh, it always kind of um, leads down that path of, like convenience and technology versus kind of maybe kind of like trust and legacy. And those two things kind of sit seemingly on the other ends of the spectrum um, in terms of um, carriers have like traditional carriers have one and, and insurance have the other. Um, and obviously, yeah, that delightful experience has been created by the folks like Lemonade and Metromile and all those kind of folks that have gone to the public markets driving that kind of user experience is the primary driver. And if you look at kind of what they've done, what they've been successful at, um, kind of when you're speaking to carriers or when you're speaking to kind of leaders in the industry, is there anything that you um, kind of you take from them and you kind of want to kind of share in terms of looking at their success and their, some of their failures and what kind of advice you give or what kind of uh, how do you how do you share information with the carriers at the, and the companies that you speak with? Well,
1: I think look, there's sort of two pieces at play there right? There's product, like real legitimate product innovation, right? Mm. So in the homeowner's space, I think the best example of that has been HIPPO and how mm. they've thought about prevention, right? With the home maintenance and home and home surveying and and, and having the ability to, to have a, a consultant through your phone, look at something that might be broken and give you advice and then find a person for that. Um, put aside even the IoT devices and and the water leak sensors, and that's a whole other um, thing. But I I think they themselves have, I think, rethought what home insurance is, and they're reframing it it as protection, right? So we want to be there for your entire home, right? Whether it's a home maintenance warranty, whether it's the actual maintenance on it. Um, if, if God forbid you have a claim, then we have a list of, of validated uh, repair people that can come in that will stand behind. Right? I think that's actually very forward thinking. Just to create a slick um, chat bot to sell insurance—that—that that, all that does is essentially put lipstick on uh, on the hippo, right? It's, it's, not, it's not changing the underlying product or the underlying mm-hmm. asset or the underlying message. So the, what I share with, with the incumbent carriers is really understanding your marketplace, your customers, your agents, your businesses, all of that, your local, kind of like your locale, right? What is it that's changing? what can you now look to in the outside world and say hey that's actually a pretty unique idea right mm-hmm. so with one of the carriers that i'm working with um you know they were they're looking at the use of external data to try to predict does this ho- does this homeowner or farm have a certain item you know on their property um, a different example that that i've seen is using aerial imagery and suddenly noticing hey there's a pool they never told us they had a pool, right? Mm. Or, or uh, determining true true footprint and true um, square footage. Or um, if you are in a, a very prone area with wildfires, using let's say aerial imagery to identify which houses have a lot of brush close to them, and then proactively sending out um, companies to clear that brush as a preventative measure. With no charge to the to the policyholder, mm-hmm. because you know if you can save that house from burning down, you, you can probably clear away brush from hundred homes.
0: Right? Yeah, I um I chatted to a carrier just last week actually, and it's a similar kind of vein, uh, they were talking about an, an imagery company. They're doing a bunch of work with a, a data layer. Um, and uh, interestingly, I hadn't kind of thought about this, but obviously, when a claim happens or when a, like a, a, a catastrophic event happens the carrier has to um, hold on the balance sheet a bunch of capital um, for the potential claims loss. Um, and But then having been using this data layer and this imagery to be able to very quickly understand what the actual loss is going to be within a much better like accuracy. And therefore, actually, not, they don't have to hold all that cash on the balance sheet that they're currently holding up and not being able to use for anything else. And so it's actually like a... Um, yeah, not cash flow thing specifically, but in terms of them being able to kind of put cash across the business and not having to hold so much um, capital up for, for claims deployment, I think was a, just a really interesting nuance that I hadn't really considered before from the advantage of some of the imagery, obviously, as well as it happening, um, the actual claim itself, as well as happening um, to help price the risk, but actually on the back end in terms of like from a capital allocation perspective. So super interesting.
1: So that, you know, that brings up, I think, an interesting thing. So when you read all of the news articles around InsurTech and you see all the buzz, right, it, it's one of two things: it's either a, you know a challenger to an incumbent, right, or it's an interesting, um, uh, it's an interesting technology company that is selling a service. Let's mm-hmm. say imagery is a simple one. Yeah. But there's there is a very small sliver of companies that are really working on the backside on reinsurance, mm-hmm. on capital, on capital allocation. And I think that's actually in some ways far more impactful to a carrier because if you can if you can cut your reinsurance costs down by one percentage point, that's literally one percentage point on your combined ratio. Similarly, if you can reserve infinitely more accurately, right, that, that could be two or three points, right, mm-hmm. in your combined ratio. And so while they're not getting as much buzz, I think there's uh, there is some activity, a growing amount of activity that's really around that. Call it the asset management and asset side of the business, which which for all intents and purposes is the is the mirror image of the carrier, right? Mm. you have to have assets to pay the claims, and
0: right? Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I think uh, like we uh, that all that comes together, right? Is that that um, and talk about that kind of. Uh, lipstick on the hippo, like depth feels more and more important in terms of terms like that vertical integration, in terms of like mm-hmm. really deep across the insurance stack, in terms of yeah. where uh, um, where these kind of partnerships can emerge. I think kind of, um, I think it's very easy to look at the distribution layer because it's simple, supposedly simple, but actually kind of lots of the value comes in lots of different parts of the stack. Like, and if you think how to think about that in terms of, um maybe kind of potential strategic partnerships or um kind of acquisitions or like kind of have you kind of seen any um i guess kind of in your in your roles any kind of templates for success i suppose in terms of maybe young companies that are trying to partner with incumbents and how to do that really effectively in terms of positioning and and like vice versa like an incumbent like and analyzing and assessing kind of what the um potential impact on a business a partnership with a young startup could be.
1: So, I I think there's one key. There's sort of two keys for success for the for that enabling tech, right? You need to have a level of humility, Mm -hmm. right? So, yes, you might have the best solution. That will come through with your humility, but you have to understand that the carrier's been doing this for. 100 years, 50 years, 200 years, they're not stupid, they're not silly, right? So so you have to have a little bit of that. But more importantly, you have to put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. and and be able to articulate what's the real value of doing this. Because it, it, whether you are the, the insurtech building your product or you're the incumbent carrier, at the end of the day, y- your demands on your resources are infinitely greater than your resource pool. Right. And so what you need to do is you need to convince that carrier that investing the time, the energy, the money into your solution will reap X times more reward for them, and therefore it's worthwhile prioritizing and understanding and being able to talk the talk. And the best example I can give is, you know, if you are a cocky New Yorker and you're going into um, the the middle of rural America, right? You better be able to talk the way they th- they talk and think the way th- they think, because you can't expect it to be rushed and like this this this, and, and you could be aggressive. It's just that 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 cultural fit isn't going to exist. And the same point I make for for the for the carriers, which is as you're looking for partners, the most important piece is the cultural fit. Because for the most part the product you know c- c- company A's product versus company B's product versus company C's product, everybody has one stronger muscle but for the most part they can do the majority of everything the same way because otherwise you wouldn't have been on the table right so, so you've got yeah. the table to fix there and so to me where where it makes a critical um, a critical element of success is that both the carrier and the, um, and the Insurance Act are on that same cultural wavelength, right? whatever that might be.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, uh, that cultural piece, I think in the U.S. specifically, like, there's a vast different state to state. And I think kind of when you look at a bunch of uh, the insurtechs that try to do a good job there or try to kind of scale um, nationally there, it's actually been a real challenge often. And there's been a like kind of had focus areas on on different states. And I think you can abstract that and look at that globally and say, like, um, the, the same challenges that you've got this microcosm, well, not really a microcosm, but a microcosm within one country of, of like vast differences from from Texas to New York, for example, um, and then you've got, uh, like, Singapore compared to the U.K. or to compared to Finland. Jimmy, there's a – when you that, that culture nuance you're just talking about, I think um, uh, you get in both in America and globally. And it's, and it's an interesting challenge, isn't it, for, for companies who want to be like global businesses, how you kind of approach that.
1: Um, and that's a great point. But even in your case in Australia, right, I, I would – the little, <laughs> little I know – Right? Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, right? Let's say larger mm-hmm. areas are very unique in their mm-hmm. culture, their way, their approaches, right? And so even in a much smaller country, you still have a lot of this regional regionality. Um, but I think the success comes from making sure that you hire local, mm-hmm. right? And, and deliver global. Sure. Right? And I, I think that's, that's the key. Um, even building the insure tech, right? You you can build it globally, but you need to deliver it locally, right? And and that could come across if you are a core system um, in Japan or China to be native, you know, native characters, right? In, in the programming side of it, in the back end, right? Um, or it could just, or it could very, or it could just be making sure that the people that you hire and the advisors that you get have intimate local knowledge
0: yeah yeah interesting yeah the uh that nuance is important um uh, especially on the like i like got partnership side i think kind of obviously when you look at the cross-section of a company being like kind of product and engineering folks and those kind of things but that kind of customer facing layer um in terms mm-hmm. of partnership sales um gm hiring that kind of thing that that local um that local knowledge is very, very important. If you were to, um, if you were to, uh, like start thinking about, um, kind of next year, and start thinking about kind of maybe things that you're seeing coming down the pipe. We're getting towards the end of the year, uh, and kind of it's all time, I guess it's a a time that everyone reflects a bunch, and then starts thinking of kind of how we're how the world's moving, and and kind of how things are evolving. And I think things we generally think that, <clears throat> uh. It takes much longer to get things done, <clears throat> excuse me, than it does uh, in terms of that one year, 10 year kind of um, adage. And so, what do you think about next year? What do you, what's on your horizon? What are you seeing? What are you excited by? What do you kind of thinks maybe um, all hype that maybe kind of fizzle away? Kind of really interested in some of your, your broader thoughts about the year coming.
1: So, I'm going to take a little bit of license and as much as you and, want and add an example, right? So, got it. During COVID, there was an example out of China that that to me speaks wonders to a desire to do something. Mm-hmm. And if you have that desire, then it doesn't matter regulatory hurdles. It doesn't matter costs. It doesn't matter all that. You'll figure it all out. And certainly in, in Asia and parts of the world, there's a, a communications platform called WeChat, right? Yep. And that's that's much more dominant. Um you know, in Europe, it's WhatsApp, and in the US, it's really just SMS, um, mm-hmm. or a combination of those two, depending upon where your friends are. So, um, at the end of December, you know, two years ago, unfortunately, the world learned about COVID. Um, but WeSure, which is the insurance arm of WeChat, within one month launched a product geared to um, healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. Two days later, they launched another product geared to small business owners. About four or five days after that, they launched a business interruption um, product. And a couple of days after that, they launched a product for the general public to any uh, WeChat user, offering them a a small amount of, of coverage. Those three or those four insurance products uh, they partnered with AXA. They partnered with the People's Insurance Corporation of China. So think about that. Four products in, in essentially six weeks. Right? And by no means is China open from a regulatory perspective. right? So mm-hmm. if you think that your regulations and your regulator, your regulator is that much more complicated, they're not. Um, you know. And, and so to me, when you ask me, what do I see in the year? I think the only thing the only thing holding back anyone, whether you're a carrier or a challenger or an insurtech is yourself. Yep. It, it's your own mindset. It's the fact that, you know, you can't see in front of you. Um, my wife the just today reminded me of a, of a quote she heard from uh, the race car driver Danica. Uh, I forget her last name. But I think it, it might be Andre. Um, <laughs> But her father, who was also a race car driver and her coach, said to her, keep you head to where your eyes are going, right? Never look back, right? If you're going around a racetrack at 300 miles and you turn back, you're you're done, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to follow your eyes. You have to follow the future, right? And so I think that's the point is follow that, follow your eyes to the future. Don't look back and you'll accomplish everything. So now, to answer your question, what mm. is that in everything? Right? So I think there's a there's a, a thread go there's a thread right now within payments you mentioned, right? Mm. Where the where the the evolution of the fintechs within payments has been one where they've now gone very vertical, yep. vertically integrated, and so I actually see that probably being a likely outcome and a likely path that the insured techs will follow and the insurance carriers, right, Um, is this much deeper vertical integration. Horizontal, you know, you're spreading peanut butter, you know, as thin as you can on a slice of bread, Mm -hmm. right, or Marmite for you guys, right? Um, There's only, you know, so much of that that goes, you know, so far. Pardon me. But if you go deep, right, you can touch every aspect. I think that glue becomes so much stronger Mm -hmm. and so much more powerful. So so I see that occurring um, over the next year, probably more and more. We can't go into thinking about next year from an insurtech perspective without talking about the changing in the funding world, Mm -hmm. right? Um, VCs are still pouring billions, but they're far more pointed in how and what and when. And how much, right? And so a lot of, I expect there will be a lot of insure techs who fizzle away. Some of them will be lucky enough to be able to be acquired by another insure tech. I am shocked at how little M&A is going on right now mm. between carriers buying the intellectual capital of some of these insure techs for mm. you know, pennies on the dollar. So I would <coughs> expect a little bit more of that to probably happen. Um, and then, you know, you have... The, the main issues right now facing insurance, right? Um, and I think you will see continued involvement of startups and carriers, right? Cyber, making sure you can appropriately price that and appropriately understand that risk and appropriately prevent you know, some of that risk. Global warming and what does that mean, right? I, I think that you know, to me, what's the most interesting, and I don't hear very much discussion about it, even within a carrier, I've heard and been involved in conversations with banks much more in this sense, which is where's the world gonna be in three to five years, right? So what is is insurable risk in three to five years? Either what aren't we insuring now that's going to crop up? So think of cyber a while back, right? Mm But, but to me, that's the, the piece that it, if, if carriers, if incumbents were smart enough, they would start to say, what's the world gonna be like in five years? Now, let me make sure that I understand what are those mile posts that are gonna, that's gonna get me there and which, mile, and which mile markers are the ones where I notice the fork in the road. So I'll know if I'm mile marker 101, I went this way. And if I'm mile marker 110, I went this way or 210, right? And I that will end up truly separating the carriers that that continue to grow and continue to see market share and market opportunities from the others, it is the fact that they understand that the assets that they are insuring are changing. Um, I use a great example. So I grew up in Western Canada, and um, we drank milk from a cow that we milked. Friends owned a cow, and that was the milk we had um now if you go to if you go to dairy farms now there's a a product called the lily astronaut and it's not an elon musk the lily yep. Astronaut. yep the lily astronaut yep. and it costs about a couple hundred thousand dollars uh but what is it it, it is isn't self milking machine so the cows who know when is the time to be milked walk over to that machine it scrubs it scrubs their udders it puts on the suction it takes out the milk and what does that mean it it ultimately means the quality of the milk is higher so farmers are getting more per per pound Um, the the cows are happier it has an automatic feeding component also right but now your farm has a very different insurable base there's less labor needed so your workers compensation stuff is lower But the barn isn't a $75,000 barn now, it's a total $75,000 barn. Or if business interruption, if that machine goes down for an hour because you lost power, right? The cow will absorb the milk and you can't get that back out, right? And so now your business interruption perhaps is a much higher um, risk or sticking to farming. um, There's, you know, currently for weeding, it's it's a chemical weeding process. But there's a whole set of of ag tech that's looking at electric weeding, right? So now, if you go into electric weeding, now there's less risk of contamination of the water supply and all this. So that end of the insurable risk changes. So these are the kinds of things that I don't think we as an industry do a good enough job sort of looking outside, seeing what's coming and what's changing, and then reflecting that back into our own business.
0: Yeah, just to kind of wrap that, I think that's – I think it speaks exactly to what you mentioned right at the top, which was how vertically, like, deep is really important to be, right? Because if you kind of think about that in terms of risk selection and and understanding the risk of pricing, that's right at the bottom all the way through to kind of, um, like, capital allocation, through to um, distribution, like, through to kind of customers. We spoke about a bunch of those different things today. And I think kind of all of those things point, point towards, like, how important it is um, and how if anybody wants to be successful if you want to um if the carriers um incumbents want to um kind of continue to drive forward and 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 startups want to um continue to so as partner and be part of that journey versus trying to kind of take them on toe to toe i think kind of the uh, helping go deep i think feels like um a really uh thoughtful way to think about kind of approaching the problem and uh, providing maximum value to the carriers and i think i um I think I completely agree. If that's uh if that's a uh, um a thought to take away, which is kind of how can you add value to go deep and, and go deeper across the stack, I think they'll um there's lots of parts to success. So um yeah, does that come is that fair? As that a good kind of summary yeah. on a bunch of the conversation? That's brilliant, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Look, like I I'm I know I'm taking already taking over over thirty minutes of your time and so I really, really appreciate it today. It's um uh, yeah, I, I thought the conversation would be insightful, and no doubt it has been. I'm sure everyone um, listening is has really enjoyed it as well. So uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Um, I'm sure if uh, anyone wants to um, follow your content, um, um, you let us know where they can can find that. And then if anyone wants to follow us up directly, we're happy to kind of pass the details on. So, uh, Keenan, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, best of uh, best of luck towards the end of the year, and and have a great 2023.
1: Thank you very much. Same to you, Nigel, and to all of you at Canopy.
0: Thanks so much.